0: Thank you. And thank you for joining the OIS podcast. I'm Dr. Paul Karpecki. As mentioned, and have the great opportunity to interview Georgia Pesedis of Dompe. Once again, thank you for taking your time out to listen to this interview. I think you're going to find it extremely valuable as we, we look at a very interesting company in terms of biologics, what they've been able to achieve, how they've been so successful, their path towards that, and really what we can learn both from Georgia in terms of uh, her goals and roles and how she achieved her current key role in Dompe and even how you know a, a company that's fairly large and well known in Italy, but not known here to the United States could be so successful in what they achieve that maybe uh, you can apply to your situation as well. So, Georgia, thanks for making time to join us today.
1: No, thank you, Paul. I'm so excited one to see you, but really thrilled for the opportunity to connect today.
0: I agree. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm doing interviews and I'm just meeting the people right beforehand, which is also kind of fun. But in our case, we've probably been doing this for, like you said, more than a couple of decades it seems now. And I'm really thrilled though that you're making time in your busy schedule to to join us. Uh, for our attendee, our audience, briefly walk us through your personal background, kind of like where you grew up, your education, if it's relevant to what you do now, professional path into eye care. Um, you know, some of the steps along the way.
1: Yes, thanks for the opportunity. So I grew up outside of Boston, Massachusetts. I know I don't have as thick of an accent um, as one would expect, but I think pharmacy school took that out of me. Um, But I actually uh, really came from a long line of pharmacists in my family. Um, My mom was a pharmacist and I felt like it was either you had to become a physician or a pharmacist. That was your, that was your kind of, two options when you were graduating um, high school and thinking about going into college. So I actually was a pre-med minor PharmD major, um, and I took the MCATs and and also took the pharmacy entrance exams and decided to go down the pharmacy path um, and graduated with an early degree. So I did my PharmD in six years instead of eight years, which was really nice because I was able to enter into the workforce really early in my career. Um, and at that time, I was working as an intern um, at Brigham and Women's as well as Mass eye and Ear. So I was working as an intern um, with the plan to graduate up as a pharmacist um, and really did a lot of my training at Mass eye and Ear, which is what kind of entered me into this eye care space. So I was specializing in specialty compounding pharmacy, which is a very niche part of pharmacy, but even more niche within that was eye care compounding. Um, and I did a lot of my training at Mass Ioneer with the intention to work in the specialty eye care compounding space, but around 2011, 2012, the compounding space really within eye care had changed. And I said, I really feel like I can make a really big impact within industry where you're on a grand manufacturing scale, um, GMP versus the compounding scale, which was still very new. There were new guidances from the government going into play in different states um, as well as federally. And so I said, really, I think the bigger impact I could have is going into industry And I remember, like it was yesterday, we had before, it was like my last day of training at Mass Ioneer, and I was going to be transitioning into industry, we had a patient with neurotrophic keratitis. And that patient um, went through the gamut of options. Um, And it was right when serum tears started becoming a thing where patients would go downstairs, and they'd get their blood drawn. And then we would get it upstairs, and we would spin it down, and we would make serum tears. And it was really a new thing. And The patient was really like, I'm going to put my own blood in my eyes. Like This is really an interesting way to go about it. Isn't there anything else I can take before I do this? And the truth of the matter, and you know this better than anyone, Paul, is there really wasn't anything we could offer to patients back then. And so for me, it was kind of those two worlds coming together when I accepted this position at Dompe. So I had gone into industry. I had done various therapeutic areas, although eye care was really my love. I fell back into the dry eye space, um, launching Zydra at Shire. And then it just really came together um, with like the entrance into pharma, into this position at Dompe with neurotrophic keratitis, because I knew what those patients were going through. I never in my lifetime believed there would be an actual FDA approved treatment, let alone a company that would invest in R&D in this space. And so for me, the two worlds really came together nicely, transitioning into Dompe to help patients really for the first time with an FDA approved treatment option for NK.
0: That's fantastic. I think you make some really good points, you know, and and just to emphasize what you said during my cornea fellowship under Dan Dury in Kansas City, we used to have NK patients and we would just try to slow down the eventual progression from punctate staining to persistent epithelial defect to ulceration and then unfortunately for some corneal perforation. And we, you know, we could slow it down for a while, uh, you know, as long as we could, but there was really no significant treatment um, until you know, Dompe came around and 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 made a difference. And for, tell me a little bit about the company itself, because I think its its roots go back to Italy, where it is fairly well well known. And although it's obviously very well established in in eye given the good work you and the team have done, uh, for those listeners who may not be familiar, tell me a little bit about the company itself.
1: Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Dompe is a century old European company. It's over 130 years old at this point. It is still family owned and has been passed down for several generations. It's now going on to its next iteration um, from Sergio Dompe to Natalie Dompe, and really, I think that's allowed us to harness innovation differently. And so, when 2018 came around, so Oxervate was approved in August of 2018, they spun off um, and built out the U.S. subsidiary. And to your point, Paul, nobody had ever heard of this, you know, Italian-based uh, pharmaceutical company, but really, we were the first in the world to develop a GMP licensed facility to actually manufacture topical biologics. So we had that set. Um, we got the FDA approval. Um, and then the Dompei U.S. subsidiary build out started in 2018. So myself and three of the other leadership team members came on board to really build Dompei U.S. from scratch. And the way that we did it was really with great partnerships with physicians like yourself. And you probably don't know this, but I think it's a fun fact, is you were actually the first person I spoke to day one on the job at Dompe when it was myself and just a few other leadership team members before we had our plan, before we had our strategy, before we even knew, is it optometry? Is it ophthalmology? Who are we going to be talking to first to start treating these patients? You were the first person I spoke to. And you actually gave me some really fantastic advice that I still leverage to this day. So, I think the, the build out of the US subsidiary was really through great partnerships with physicians um, and with a great team that we were able to hire that also had a ton of eye care experience and partnerships that they were bringing into the organization. And then we launched in January of 2019. So, we built out our launch in three months. It's really unheard of. I'm sure you've, you've talked to many companies on this podcast. On average, a, a US build out of a, a proof product is about a year or so by the time you get your product approved to disease state, to building out your sales and medical organizations to launch is about a year. And that's pretty fast paced. We did it in about three months. um, And we not only did we hire everyone at the same time, but also building out our strategy and building out, you know, what, what this product was going to mean to physicians and patients. um, And how do we find the right patients um, in these offices to make sure that we can have the greatest impact on NK patients as possible. So it was really um, an exciting launch uh, to where we are now today, about four and a half years later, with the tremendous success in being able to treat NK patients. We've been able to treat thousands of patients with NK, but really I would say the biggest part of it is through great partnerships with physicians like yourself um, who have these patients, patients in their office, but we were able to produce education and new science and new literature to really help identify these patients.
0: That is fantastic if you think about the success. Because while neurotrophic keratitis or NK was somewhat known by cornea doctors, and I think general eye care practitioners in ophthalmology and optometry, they maybe didn't have the right knowledge of it. Like, for example, you know, most people at the beginning thought of NK as the neurotrophic ulcer, stage three, really, if you think of the three stages of the disease. How did you do such a good job? I mean, you really literally are having treated uh, thousands, thousands of patients, having great success uh, with this product, I think far greater than most people expected, even uh, for a new category like this, the first drug in its space. Can you point to some things for perhaps someone who's getting ready to launch a product uh, in terms of what made this so successful, especially in the light of the fact that it's a you know, first time drug in the category?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it was definitely first recognized by the FDA that this is breakthrough and they had granted us fast track and priority review, which was really exciting. I think that was the first step to being able to get the trials completed um, and then also get our label. Um, but I think the biggest part of our success was knowing who the patient actually is. And so I think me coming in and having known those patients, having seen those patients in my training and within my professional clinical career, I knew there were a lot more of them out there than the data was showing. I think a lot of companies, they kind of rely heavily on EHR data and um, artificial intelligence to find patients as every good organization does, right? You kind of do your pre-planning and you try to find who these patients are and where they are. But with a space like NK that is a rare disease and nobody's coding it the same way across physicians, you would think that there aren't a lot of patients with NK. Um, And it's still rare, right? It's still that orphan designation. It's less than 200,000 patients, absolutely, but definitely more than the few hundred patients that we thought we would have after a couple of years. And I knew that because I had seen it in practice. And I think I had seen it through my colleagues like yourself who had those really just hard to treat patients that they were sometimes on that cusp of like, they're definitely not dry eye anymore. They've crossed this disease continuum they just look so terrible. At giving given them everything that's out there. What could this possibly be? Um, and really it's like, that's the start of stage one neurotrophic keratitis. And I think that that was really where we knew we wanted to go long-term. Um, but like you said, we started off saying, okay, well, we know the patients that you can see clearly clinically, which are your persistent epithelial defects and your corneal ulcers. We knew that that was our sweet spot to launch. And so we started Smaller than kind of this big launch, like take every patient, get every patient. We said, let's start with the patients we know from the clinical trials are going to see great success. So, in our clinical trials, we saw up to 72% of patients with stage three and stage three NK saw success um, with Oxervate. It didn't come without its safety parameters. So, about 16% of patients we saw having eye pain. Um, as they were regaining sensation, we know that that's due to the effects on the nociceptor sensitization. So we started there. We knew that we could start smaller and keep growing. And so we actually just recently completed our clinical trial in stage one NK patients so that way we can continue to grow in those earlier, more mild patients that we know are crossing this disease continuum, but aren't necessarily being treated with oxavate today. And so we took it step-by-step. We found out who those patients really were that could have the greatest benefit out the gate. And then we built built from there really small building blocks. Um, Unlike a lot of companies, I think, that want to go big the second you get out and you think, oh, I only have three to four years to be really successful. We took it step by step with a really strategic plan to partner with the cornea specialists within the community. So we didn't even go too broad. We said medical cornea optometry, medical uh, cornea Ophthalmology will start start there and then we can keep building from there. And now we've gotten to the place three to four years later where we're also talking to general ophthalmology and expanding, saying, we know they're sitting in your offices earlier before you're referring to cornea, but now you can even treat because you have a topical option. There's no need to refer to do something like a transplant um, or hopefully you're catching them earlier and doing something like an amniotic membrane. Um, or serum tears that now you have a topical option that's FDA approved so you can catch these patients earlier. So I would say my advice uh, to other companies is know your patient, target a smaller group of physicians that you know have that patient subset. But then lastly, really, it's okay to start a little bit smaller and treat the right patients first, and then build from there to the broader set of patients that you know your product could have a great benefit in.
0: That is absolutely brilliant and spot on. I think back over after you've said this, companies that have had a real successful launch um, versus those who have failed in their launch, I think those who failed never really gave us as doctors an idea of who the ideal initial patient was. At least not clearly and, and visibly. That we could say, "Oh, I know that patient. That's where I'm going to start." And the big advantage of, of that, well, you know, you've come up with it. But the big advantage of that is that. Uh, that's got more chance of succeeding if it's the ideal patient. And then the doctor sees that success and says, wow, this really works. I'm going to try it on the next patient and the next. And then, yes, we then find other patients still in the category of NK, still on label for the definition, but that are uh, slightly different then because we've got the confidence now and we've found that it was successful in the right patients. And I, I think back to, you know, products that tried to launch and it never took off. And I realized, you know, I never really realized where that drop fit in you know who which patient was that best on and so then we eventually kind of forget the concept of it and then i also like you know the targeting the smaller group and expanding i think that because this is a cornea drug if you didn't get cornea specialists involved early i think a lot of the you know general eye care practitioners within the practice perhaps or otherwise are going to look to those cornea docs for advice And if they didn't know about the technology first, they're not going to be able to give the positive attributes and to the next step. And I think people and companies tend to look at, okay, how broad can I get out there? How many thousands of patients can I look to without having a specified ideal candidate? And then how many doctors can I get out to? And that just makes it thinner. And, and you dilute the message, you don't find the ideal candidate, they don't work as well with that drop, and then it never takes off. You had a wonderful summary of a of really an ideal pattern for successfully launching a drug into eye care. I like that a lot. Um, so obviously, Oxervate's done extremely well. Uh, you know, people have just been I've talked to doctors all over who are just having incredible success. We know how often it gets prescribed. We found that the market turns out to, you know, still be NK, still rare, as you said, but much larger than originally um, thought. You just mentioned that you're finishing trials in stage one patients. What's the um, what's the plan and pattern now for for Oxervate's continued success? Is it still more education? Is it the next phase of clinical trials? Is it other avenues? What what are you thinking that can keep this um, success going?
1: all three of those buckets, Paul. Um, Luckily, due to the success, we've been able to reinvest in education, but also reinvest in continued clinical trials. Um, As we continue to partner with the physician community now as PIs um, and educators, um, I still think our runway is really long here. We wanted to make sure we continue to generate data in those subsets of patients um, if we do want to identify them early. And so what we recognized is that Oxervate works well in those patients, which is obviously why we have the indication in the label is that the FDA did believe that if you see efficacy in stage two and stage three, it's inherent that you would see efficacy in stage one. And so they gave us a very broad label that included all stages of patients, but we felt it was our responsibility to continue to educate and produce science in this area. And so we invested in in this phase four trial that took us about two years. We started it right during covid um, luckily, it didn't impact enrollment because there were so many of these patients that physicians were able to enroll. It enrolled about 35 patients, and we, we made the size of it pretty much approximately to the efficacy arm of our pivotal trials. This was open label, so there was no comparator because we, based on a lot of feedback that we got from the FDA, they felt that it would be unethical to have a comparative arm when you're already are commercially approved for this indication, and so we designed the trial really to compare to baseline. And so at baseline, patients had to have a grade three or worse um, in their fluorescein staining. They had to have decreased corneal sensitivity, similar to the pivotals. So they had to have less than four. And then they also had to show that they were um, not exemplifying any symptoms. So they were truly neurotrophic patients. Um, They had to have washed out from all the topical drops that could be producing toxicity on the surface, just so we didn't get an inflated Um, number as it relates to maybe they would already have gotten better if they had just cleared out maybe some of the BAK toxins that they were um, introducing to their ocular surface on a daily basis. And so we really enrolled kind of your true stage one NK patient. And we saw that approximately 85% of patients saw complete epithelial healing um, at the eight week endpoint. And about 95% of those patients remain healed up to one year. And so similar efficacy results as we had previously seen in other trials that either the company did or that we've been seeing in real world evidence through case reports that physicians have been producing. And so really that just excited us to continue to invest in the science um, outside of NK, but also to uh, continue to invest in science within NK, because being the only company with an FDA approved treatment, it's imperative that we continue to take some of our successes and reinvest it in In finding out more about not only the disease, but how our product works, to your point, within special patient populations, maybe those populations that we don't think of. Everybody thinks about HSV, VZV. Everybody thinks about those diabetes patients. Everybody knows that kind of chronic dry eye patient that really has had such bad impact to the ocular surface that now it's impacted the corneal nerves. But how about the other subsets of patients, whether it's surgical um, patients that we don't necessarily really think about a lot? Um, So I think that we're continuing to invest not only within the NK space, but also outside of NK to look at other applications for NGF, knowing that it's such a unique molecule that has really the ability to um, penetrate the ocular surface really well. We're really focused not only on neurotrophic keratitis, but we've also invested in R&D to look at um, dry eye disease as well as Sjogren's dry eye disease. Um, as well as neuropathic corneal pain, which is on the other end of the spectrum. But we know that these, this specific mechanism of action really could have a great impact on various anterior segment diseases that have impacts to the corneal nerves or neurosensory abnormalities.
0: That's really terrific. And, and that data is impressive on stage one, but it makes sense that it would be even better because you're you know stage two and three NK patients, what, 72% complete healing rates and 80% of them maintained it a year later. And now you're complete healing. So it's gone up quite a bit. And you said 95% have maintained it at a year.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think the one thing that we're learning also about kind of the safety parameters um, in patients is that as you are less neurotrophic um, and you're regaining sensation, you will feel more pain, but it is transient and mild in nature. And so we did see in the safety um, endpoints within the stage one NK Defendo trial, we saw that it was higher. It was about 35% as compared to 16% in our pivotals, which is what you see in the label. Um, And so we are seeing that it is mild and it's transient. And as the patients have a lower um, entry-level sensitivity, that they do feel more pain. Um, But we know that it's due to the effects on the gnosis sensitization. And being an eight-week treatment, um, we we cease to see uh, eye pain after patients discontinue um, at that eight-week mark. So we are seeing, I think, great efficacy, but also recognizing that we're also building um, the understanding from a safety perspective in patients so we can communicate to them, the physicians, so they can tell them what to expect when they're on um, this earlier in disease as as opposed to later in disease. So I think we've learned a lot. We've been able to put a lot of that into the literature and crossing our fingers that will be accepted to publication for Defendo here in the next few months.
0: That's absolutely fantastic. Really brilliant. I'm sure you're Parents are proud of you. Although you're still a pharmacist, the route you've taken, obviously, extremely exciting with that pharmacy degree, and making a huge impact on patients' lives, and obviously on on and the industry. So, you know, for our listeners who you know maybe looking or within an organization uh, or looking to maybe reach a position like senior vice president, global head of medical clinical affairs, what would be your advice to them? Um, Especially in light of the fact that you took a you know, a path that makes a lot of sense in hindsight, but maybe not everybody goes from pharmacy to this type of a role, utilizing their skills and and understanding. Is it just you're continuing to to learn? Is it also just your your desire and and drive? And I mean, what? Not every pharmacist does this. What's what really can you say were some of the keys to you reaching this uh, pivotal spot?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and I I always think, what would I tell my younger self? Uh, and I think it's be comfortable to take a non-traditional path um, and know that you might not graduate and enter into the role that you want right away. And you have to be okay with that. I think you know all of us, including optometry and ophthalmology, we go through years and years of education and you kind of have this like structured box around what you think success would look like after graduation. But I really took a very non-traditional path. Um, I did everything from sales to marketing to compliance, to quality assurance, writing policies and procedures. Um, and and I, I think that one, it taught me a lot, but two, it also helped me recognize what are my greatest strengths. And I think when I kind of sum it all down, I think I knew that my greatest strengths were partnering with the clinical community. I think as a pharmacist in the hospital setting, you are one of the greatest partners to a physician, whether it's on the floor, doing grand rounds, um, you are kind of their go-to for Vanco dosing for antibiotic dosing, for you know, what do I actually put in this eye care compound to make sure that I'm actually targeting the receptors and getting the right absorption? And so, you you know, you, I knew that I was always a great partner to physicians, but I knew that I could take that to a broader scale. Um, and this, of course, I wanted to continue doing it in eye care, but I did it in other therapeutic areas that I wasn't really great at. I didn't know a lot about oncology, but you jump into where your greatest strengths are, and I think you can flex those strengths in a variety of therapeutic areas. But I think my greatest success was bringing them back to the eye care community um, and having great partnerships with people like yourself. I think if it wasn't for our partnership and me listening to you when we first launched an NK around what were your needs and what did you, where did you think these patients, you know, existed and where do you think we should focus on from a diagnosis perspective? I think not only would I not have been successful, but I think the company wouldn't have been successful. So for me, I think be flexible, be open to, you know, new positions that maybe don't necessarily align with your degree and your background, but you know that you can flex some of your strengths to really continue to grow Um, and network. I think networking and having great partnerships with the physician community is really key to success.
0: Well, thank you, Georgia. Incredible insights. Not only Um, amazing insights for someone aspiring to to reach the level you have. But even for launching a product, and we have so many new products coming out, some in, you know, finishing FDA trials and have already set PADUFA dates and some are in new categories. I think this podcast will be extremely valuable for them. It'll give them insights on ideal patients and targets and what to carry through and what's important. So, I mean, this was really one of the more valuable uh, podcasts, I think, to both people aspiring to reach your level within industry, but also to um, investors, also to uh, companies that are launching a new product. So thank you for for sharing all of that um, with the audience today. Thank you for your time and your insight and uh, continued success to you and Dompe.
1: Thank you so much. I'm I'm thrilled to have had the opportunity and I think I encourage everybody in in my position or growing into these positions is focus on the patients um, and focus on doing things based on need and not precedent. And I think there's a lot of success to be had within the eye care space. So thanks for the opportunity today.